Vox Quick Hits. I'm Alana Oaken, deputy editor at The Goods by Vox, and this is the best money I ever spent. It's a series where we ask people to tell us about the purchases they've made, both big and small, that have affected their lives. This week, we have Atlanta-based writer Gray Chapman on the best $298 she ever spent. She and her husband went out for a cocktail and oysters the night before she gave birth. Here's Gray. I never really pictured my birth until halfway through my pregnancy, when I took a class on Zoom. Over the course of two weekends, a childbirth educator talked about strategies for coping with labor pain and avoiding medical interventions. When I started the class, the closest thing I had to a birth plan was anything but a C-section. But as we practiced breathing techniques, visualizations, and long, sustained eye contact with our partners while pressing ice to our wrists, visions of my ideal birth came into focus. I knew I wanted the freedom to make my own choices about how my labor would go, to have the agency to follow my own intuition in the moment. Maybe I would labor in a tub. Maybe I would refuse to push on my back in a hospital bed and squat down to the ground instead. Maybe I could even make it all the way without screaming for an epidural and earn the coveted trophy for a natural birth. At some point, that could turned into should. Birth became something not just to experience, but also to achieve. During one of the classes, our instructor showed us videos of women in labor. As someone whose high school sex ed curriculum had somehow not included the miracle of life, I had never seen this before. In fact, I'd never seen anything like it. The women wailed and moaned, their self-consciousness stripped away by raw pain. I listened to their guttural groans and was overwhelmed with curiosity. In this moment, whose voice would come out of my mouth? I couldn't wait to find out. Late at night, as my son's hiccups in utero kept me awake, I scrolled through birth Instagram. I binged on the black and white images of women clutching their newborns to their chests in bloody birthing tubs. Women whose minds had turned fully inward in that moment, or maybe even transcended the walls of the room. As my third trimester dragged on, I kept daydreaming about my own labor. Taking a warm bath before heading to the hospital, picking the music we'd play to get me through that final, exhausting stretch of pushing. I pictured the idyllic photos I'd seen on Instagram and imagined myself in them, my own body in that tub, my own face drawn into complete concentration. I even made a labor playlist. I added Otis Redding and Sam Cooke and threw in a Nina Simone cover of Here Comes the Sun to help me feel more like myself. The pun didn't hurt either. Here comes the sun, little darling. Here comes the sun. I say it's alright. It's alright. At 39 weeks, I waddled into the hospital for my appointment, just like I'd done every Thursday for the last month. I told the midwife on duty how suspenseful and frustrating, but also secretly thrilling, the mystery of spontaneous labor felt to me. Would it happen tomorrow, or two weeks from now, or even tonight? Frankly, I thought about it all the time. What would happen, when it would happen, what we would do, what we would say. And I knew it didn't matter. I could think about it all I wanted, but ultimately, my body would lead the way. 
After all, birth is about yielding control. I heaved myself up onto the exam table, but five minutes later, all the mystery fell away, and any sense of control I thought I had was gone. The baby was breech, a position that most providers, including my own, consider too high risk for vaginal delivery. I would need a C-section instead. At this stage in my pregnancy, I didn't really have time to change things, though I could certainly try. According to the internet, there was no shortage of things I could attempt. A chiropractor, acupuncture, moxibustion, inversions, floating in a swimming pool, and one extremely painful procedure in which a doctor tries to manually maneuver the baby into position from the outside. On the way home from the hospital, I called my doula and started to cry. You can drive yourself crazy trying to do all this stuff, she said, and you need to know that it might not work. If left to my own devices, I knew I'd easily fling myself down a rabbit hole and feel completely personally at fault if my efforts failed. I was also only three days away from my due date with a baby wearing an umbilical cord around his neck. So we scheduled the C-section. After weeks of reveling in the uncertainty of when, the mystery was suddenly distilled into something as clinical as a Google Calendar slot. I wouldn't give birth in a room with twinkle lights, aromatherapy, and a birthing tub, but in a clean, cold operating room on the other side of an ugly blue curtain on a Monday morning. I got home and cried on and off for approximately eight hours. I was shocked by the sheer force of my feelings waves of sadness and disappointment as I realized I wouldn't have any of the moments I imagined. I wouldn't discover the depths of my own animal strength during the hardest parts of labor. The new reality was I wouldn't experience labor at all. I'm still not sure if I ever will. I was angry, too, at the situation, at my providers, but also at myself for letting all those maybes take root and bloom into shoulds. I let myself slip into the fantasy that I was in charge that birth was something that I could not only achieve but excel at, that the only thing separating me from my ideal birth was grit and effort and determination, just wanting it badly enough and advocating for myself loudly enough. But in my head, I was ashamed that I allowed myself to be fooled into even momentarily thinking that one kind of birth is more noble or more valid than another. Emotionally, I felt like I had failed the first test of motherhood before I even became a mother. Somewhere in all this, I had a flickering moment of clarity. I decided to make a dinner reservation on Sunday night for me and my husband on the patio of one of my favorite special occasion restaurants. I like to tell people it was logistical, a type A planner's dream. If we can pinpoint the exact day and time that we'll become parents, why not squeeze in one last hurrah of a nice meal right under the wire? But if I'm being honest, I think it was a decision made a little bit out of spite. I spent the last nine months following the rules, preparing, abstaining, studying, visualizing, doing all the right things. And after all that, if I still can't get the kind of birth I want, I can at least have a damn drink. Plus, with only 12 more hours to go in my pregnancy, one drink wouldn't be too irresponsible, right? I mean, he's pretty much fully baked. So, the night before my C-section, 
and for the first time since the onset of the pandemic, I went out to eat with my husband. I brushed my hair, put on a dress, and some lipstick, which I immediately wiped off when I remembered masks. We sat on the patio, and over the course of two hours, I ate one of the most expensive meals of my life while gleefully crossing off half of the items on the what-not-to-eat-when-pregnant list. A platter of raw oysters, a small spoonful of white sturgeon caviar, and a cured egg yolk on top of rice grits. And yes, a drink. One perfect, effervescent French 75, made the old-fashioned way with cognac. I worried I would throw it all back up in the operating room the next morning. I read online that can be a side effect of the anesthesia. But beneath that worry were other deeper fears, like being wide awake for surgery or lying strapped to a table as doctors rummage around my insides like the TSA inspecting a suitcase or witnessing the exact moment my life would irreversibly change. You would think all this worrying would kill your appetite, but I ate and drank anyway. And after a spring and summer of barely leaving the house, the two of us somehow racked up a $298 tab. Over the past few days, I had had such an onslaught of emotions that I didn't have time to reflect on the fact that I was days away from the most significant moment of my life. Throughout my pregnancy, I had been so preoccupied with imagining those final hours leading up to my son's birth that I forgot what was waiting for me on the other side. Sitting before a plate of oysters on the half-shell and a sweating flute of champagne, I could finally pause long enough to remember. The next morning, we got to the hospital before dawn. In the triage room, I put on an ugly gown and laid in a bed while half a dozen nurses did a lot of things to my body. Swabbing, shaving, injecting, drawing. I curled into myself over the table as an anesthesiologist numbed my spine and a nurse held my hand. Then they laid me down and slipped straps over my wrists as the entire lower half of my body logged off from my nervous system. My husband came in and knelt beside me to tell me I was doing a good job, even though I wasn't doing anything except nervously making jokes and weeping. The physical sensations of birth I had spent months imagining were replaced by the cold tingle of the table, the harsh glare of the fluorescent lights, and the murmur of nurses and PAs making small talk over my stomach. I couldn't see or feel anything on the other side of the blue curtain that was suspended over my torso, but I could hear. I've got dreams, dreams to remember. Then, just as my silly little labor playlist queued up I've Got Dreams to Remember by Otis Redding, I heard the squawk of a whole new person entering the world, and the entire thing felt preordained. Every last bit of it. Honey, I saw you there last night. Another man's arms holding you tight. Nobody knows what I feel inside. All I know, I walked away and cried. I have two photos on my phone now, each separated by about 14 hours. In the first, I'm in a yellow lace maternity dress, holding a French 75 grinning under a pastel mask and posing next to an iced platter of raw oysters. In the next one, I'm wearing a mask and a hairnet. I've been freshly swabbed for COVID, and I'm giving an anxious, goofy thumbs up from a gurney, waiting for someone to roll me into the operating room. There are no string lights or birthing tubs. 
but my birth wouldn't have been mine without either of these moments. Both were a kind of labor. One night of oysters and champagne wasn't enough to get rid of my disappointment over having a C-section. In fact, it took months for me to even use the word birth when talking about the day my son was born. Until very recently, I called it the day of my C-section or the day he came. My night of decadence also didn't soften the sting of envy I still catch myself sometimes feeling toward other moms or the ugly, insidious feeling that I didn't earn the title of motherhood quite like they did. But what that night on the patio did offer was the chance to reclaim some agency, to make a decision without subconsciously comparing notes to what I saw on Instagram. In retrospect, a fancy meal the night before my C-section wasn't just a concession prize, but a rejection of a culture that celebrates women's pain and paints it as a virtue. In a strange way, all of this led me right back to what I wanted from the very start. To follow my intuition and to allow myself to decide what I needed in the moment. And my intuition just happened to lead me to oysters and caviar. And of course, my son. Thank you all so much for listening to The Best Money I Ever Spent. This will be our last episode for now, but you can always find the pieces online at vox.com slash the goods. We publish them every other week or so, and there's always someone writing about the money they spend and why.